Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. This week on Viewpoints. I always tell people to go to Fenway Park. It's historic. It's been around for over 100 years. It's still really great to look at. It's quirky. It's a cool vibe around the ballpark. Getting back to the great American pastime. Baseball at the ballpark. Then. They would lie about their positions. They would lie about their titles. They would lie about whether they've been married before or not. Inside the world of wedding announcements, I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. I'm not going very far. It's too uncomfortable. I'm in a hurry. Sometimes I just forget. There's no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. You're not only putting yourself at risk of injury or death, it could also cost you lots of money. Cops are writing tickets, so why take the risk? Do the smart thing and start buckling up every trip, day or night. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Blue Star Medicated Ointment gets five-star reviews from our loyal users for fast relief of the pain and itch of almost any skin irritation. Star soothes insect bites and fungal infections. It really works on the summer rashes I get every year. I had psoriasis on my elbows. Blue Star worked wonders. Amazing stuff. Smear a bit on and the itch is gone. Look for the white box with the Blue Star in the first aid section. Feel Blue Star work fast or your money back. Baseball is finally back in full swing this season. Fans across the country are lining up to see their favorite team and get back into the ballpark after some time away. It's a unique experience, and in the summertime, the warm breeze, bright lights, and a cold drink while watching the classic American pastime make for the perfect way to spend a day. Timothy Malcolm is one fan that really looks forward to these memories made each season. Malcolm is a diehard Phillies fan, longtime baseball writer, and author of the new book, Baseball Road Trips, The Complete Guide to All the Ballparks, with beer bites and sights nearby. From the earliest moment of my life, I loved baseball. That's sort of indoctrinated into you when you are a kid in Philadelphia. So I went to a lot of baseball games at Veterans Stadium, watched every game on television. My dad would take me to games. It didn't matter how good or bad the Phillies were as a kid. Usually they were bad, but I loved going to the ballpark and keeping score and just being surrounded by the game, being surrounded by other fans 
And as I got older, it became more emotional for me as a Phillies fan. They got really good when I was in my early 20s. And so I lived and died on every pitch. And at the same time, I was writing for a blog about the Phillies. And so every single day, I was watching every moment of every game and writing about it, really intense into it. And they won the World Series in 2008, which was amazing. And it was the best season of my life because I followed every pitch and was there the whole way and went to a couple games that were really meaningful. And that was amazing. And then after that ended, the Phillies had a couple more years where they were pretty good, but my fandom slowly started to become more universal. Malcolm is no stranger to the ballpark. He's traveled to many different stadiums over the years, from the well-known Fenway Park in Boston to Oracle Park, right by the water in San Francisco. In 2011, in the span of a two-week cross-country road trip, he saw 10 major league games, all in different stadiums. Among the many, he has some clear favorites, but also enjoys some of the interesting quirks and details that each landmark offers. Kansas City, at Kauffman Stadium, they have this water spectacular, which is a combination of kind of waterfall, but also fountains that blast off when the Royals maybe hit a home run or win a game. So that's really fun. I also love the iconic architectural quirks of the game. Fenway Park has the Green Monster, right, which everybody knows. But there's also Pesky's Pole in right field, which is this really sharp jut-in foul pole that it's maybe about 299 feet from home plate. People vary on how far it is from home plate. It's about 299 feet. And so if you, you can easily hit a home run, a left-handed hitter, by hitting that pole, which is really cool. And then, you know, in Dodger Stadium, they have that really cool sort of triangular ceiling, which is unusual for any other park. And Yankee Stadium has the Frisee, which is this beautiful group of archways around the roof of that stadium. So always be on the lookout for those things. The unique differences and traditions of each ballpark adds to the experience of watching a game in person. But there are some changes this season due to the pandemic. Malcolm notes that many teams are limiting attendance, with some ballparks still hovering at around 50 or 60 percent capacity, while other stadiums are fully open. It just really depends on where you're living. Texas, which is actually where I am, is one of the more open states with COVID-19 right now. So both Globe Life Field and Minute Maid Park in Houston have let in more people than other parks. Truist Park in Atlanta also has let in a lot of fans. I believe it's 75% there. So it really depends. There are other parks like the New York parks and I think some of the more parks in the East Coast and the West Coast, they're a little bit down still, somewhere between 25% and maybe 40%. And teams are, as things continue to progress and as vaccinations go up, they're constantly watching to see if they can bring up those numbers a little bit more to let in more fans. Now, when you're at the park, it really depends again, but I think for the most part, teams are telling everybody to wear a mask when you come in at least. They also do ask people to be socially distant if possible. Of course, sometimes that's hard in a ballpark atmosphere and the concourses especially. But if you're in line for food or drink, just try to keep yourself some space between the person in front of you and yourself. In addition to capacity limits and mask requirements, some teams have also created special sections where fully vaccinated fans can sit with no seat spacing requirements. If you're planning to sit in one of these sections, make sure you bring your vaccination card with you to the game. Malcolm says that all of these changes this year can lead to higher ticket prices in some ballparks 
but there are ways to save some cash. One thing that has always been great for me is looking at the secondary ticket market, which means the websites that resell tickets. So, you know, the team will have tickets that they've sold and maybe whoever bought them doesn't want them, so they bring them back to the team. In that case, they go on StubHub. StubHub is now the official secondary marketplace for Major League Baseball. And what that does is it certifies StubHub as sort of the place and it's official. And you can be pretty sure when you buy a ticket off of StubHub that you're getting the ticket, that you're not going to be scammed. But the thing that also goes against that is because it's now an MLB partner, they might actually have higher ticket prices than you'd want out of a secondary ticket reseller. So always just kind of have a backup plan if you're going that route. And I would say there are some other kind of markets, resellers that are relatively reliable and they kind of come in all kinds of names. Ticket IQ is one of them. I know in Boston, they have ACE tickets, which is a very specific one for that market. Sometimes if it's specific for the market, that's actually a really good way to get tickets because they're tried and true in that area. If you're on a third-party site like StubHub, Malcolm says try looking for tickets right before the first pitch starts. These merchants are always looking to unload last-minute tickets, and there may be some steep discounts on good seats. Malcolm also recommends downloading the MLB app for easy entry into the ballpark and access to other perks. Sometimes you can go into the ballpark and, you know, 45 minutes before first pitch, a ticket on the app, they might say, hey, you're available for an upgrade and they will free upgrade your ticket to a better seat in the house. So that's one of the benefits of the ballpark app. And once you do finally make it into a game, what are the first things you should do? What should you order? Well, there's no set directive, but Malcolm has one tradition he sticks to every time he enters a ballpark. I love just coming in and going to home plate and taking a picture of the outfield backdrop when I go to a place. I just want to see that outfield backdrop because that's really where the ballpark takes its own character. So I love doing that myself, personally. But, you know, other people, obviously, they want to take a glove to a game and maybe catch some foul balls. That's always an option. No team restricts that. So you can go out and catch some foul balls or batting practice home runs. But I love taking that picture. I love getting a scorebook and hopefully keeping score if I can. And when you're talking about food and drink at the ballpark, I mean, I'm a purist who loves to have a hot dog and a beer, and that's really enough for me. While a hot dog and a cold beverage is the classic baseball fare, there are some stadiums that highlight their regional food and drink favorites. For instance, the Milwaukee Brewers in Wisconsin serve up fried cheese curds and several other cheese-centric menu items. Malcolm says that each ballpark offers something different. And if you're a fan of baseball, it's worthwhile to travel to a stadium you've never been to before and soak it all in. I always tell people to go to Fenway Park. It's historic. It's been around for over 100 years. It's still really great to look at. It's quirky. It's a cool vibe around the ballpark. And when you're in there, it's so tight that you feel like you're part of something really fun. And the action's really great, especially when we get really past COVID and we all feel a lot safer. You know, it's a really great atmosphere to be in with 40,000 other people. So Fenway's one. 
I would also recommend Oracle Park in San Francisco, which is a little bit high priced, but it's totally worth the price and it's totally worth the journey. Obviously, you're going for the view of McCovey Cove and Wright Field, that gorgeous, gorgeous view, but it is such an immersive place with a great food and drink scene. I was able to score one of the best beers in the world at that ballpark and I didn't even expect it to be there, but someone tipped me off on it and I found it. They also have great food options. I mean, everything from the Gilroy Garlic Fry which are an iconic treat there, to really great vegetarian vegan options, to great seafood. I mean, it's really got everything for a baseball fan who's looking to eat. Malcolm's third and final recommendation is heading to Wrigley Field in Chicago. It's the second oldest stadium in the Major League after Fenway Park and is known for its ivy-covered brick walls. Sitting out in the bleachers with a bunch of Cubs fans who are both really excitable and, you know, really want to talk about how great the Cubs can be, but also really like, ah, the Cubs, another disappointing season, what the heck? You know, that's a really great fan base to get to know. And of course, the area around Wrigley is amazing, Wrigleyville, with all the bars and the restaurants there. It's a really great hangout. And of course, you got the ivy and the brick wall and the scoreboard and the flags and the W flag and just all the little quirks about that ballpark. I mean, it's really special. Hopefully this season, whether it's your first ball game or your hundredth, you can make it out and enjoy all that the ballpark has to offer. To find out more about this topic and our guest, Timothy Malcolm, head to viewpointsradio.org. You can find his book, Baseball Road Trips, online and in bookstores near you. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. I'm Gary Price. Exploring the age-old tradition of wedding and engagement pages in the paper when Viewpoints returns. Pandemic school closures have taken a large toll on both children and their parents socially, emotionally, and academically. But with prevention steps, including regular PCR-based COVID-19 testing, outbreaks in schools may be largely prevented. In fact, the Biden administration has identified testing in schools as a critical proactive step in recovery from the pandemic. Here's Shiraz Ladiwala, Senior Vice President of Business Transformation Projects, Thermo Fisher Scientific. Testing for schools can be done accurately, efficiently, and affordably by using pooled PCR testing programs where multiple samples are tested at once. Batch results are reported as positive or negative and returned in 12 to 48 hours, helping to quickly indicate a potential outbreak. Highly accurate COVID-19 testing helps school administrators detect outbreaks quickly, so informed decisions about in-person learning can be made. Find out more at thermofisher.com slash COVID testing for schools. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. For nearly 100 years, folks have trusted Blue Star medicated ointment to relieve the pain and itching of almost any skin irritation. It works on my son's dry itching feet and their jock itch. I had this rash on my neck. Nothing worked until Blue Star. Blue Star worked great on my ringworm without steroids. My wife and I have been using Blue Star for years. It's never let us down. Look for the white box with the Blue Star in the first aid section. Feel Blue Star work fast. 
or your money back. For many couples, getting featured in the New York Times wedding and engagement section is a big feat. Each week, hundreds of people submit their love stories to the paper and eagerly await a response back, hoping maybe that they've made the cut. And this exciting tradition goes back hundreds of years. The first New York Times wedding announcement was published on September 18, 1851. It was one sentence long and featured a young, newly married bride and groom from New York. But today, these bios are typically longer and feature all different types of people. You don't have to be a financier, an executive, or come from a prestigious family to make it into the pages. All you need is a good story that captures the hearts of readers. So how do outlets select who gets published in this coveted section? It's a long series of steps, but it starts with the editor first sorting through submissions. At the beginning of the week, gave us a stack of the submissions that he thought would fit the wedding status. And he looked for a diversity of couples, a diversity of backgrounds. But, you know, sometimes he'd read the pages and it would be like the same finance and lawyers, finance people and lawyers over and over and over. And so you'd get these people on the phone and 95% of the time they were extremely excited to talk to the New York Times. And the 5% that they weren't, they really were not excited about this. <laughs> they were that's Kate Doty, a writer and former editor at the New York Times, where she spent several years working as a wedding announcements writer in the weekly weddings and engagements section. Doty is also the author of the new book, Mergers and Acquisitions, or Everything I Know About Love I Learned on the Wedding Pages. When Doty got married 11 years ago, she and her husband were featured in the New York Times weddings section. In the post, it was included that the bride was a descendant of Edward Doty, a passenger on the Mayflower and a signer of the Mayflower Compact. The reason I had it included is because, you know, I would interview these brides and grooms, and by and large, it wasn't the brides and grooms that were so intent on including this information in the announcement. It was like their mothers or their fathers or their grandmothers. It was certainly more important to older generations, but I remember thinking, you know, <laughs> like super wealthy, elite society people can have their Mayflower lineage included, and by God, Kate Doty, the daughter of a teacher and a woodworker and park ranger, could have that in there as well. Doty believes that today, these pages are the perfect opportunity to share the quirky details, personal successes, or an interesting love story that led the couple to find each other. Rewind back to the 1800s, and these pages were mainly reserved for prominent families like the nuptials of a Carnegie or a Vanderbilt. There was such, uh, and there still is, such a public appetite for news about rich people, especially in New York. You know, you'd have like the Astors and the Vanderbilts and the Van Leeuwens and the people chronicled in all of E.S. Horton's books spending just gobs and gobs of money on weddings. And they would have these, you know, exorbitantly expensive weddings. And that society, you know, like I don't know, Fifth Avenue, Presbyterian Church, that sort of thing. And there would be so many reporters trying to cover this wedding that they would build these fabric tents that went straight from where the carriage would pull up on the street to the door of the church. So there's a lot of exclusion happening, but by the same token, these families still needed their mergers that they were making through weddings to be known by the public to affirm their place in society. Today, wedding pages are more inclusive. It's a beloved tradition that's celebrated in small towns and big cities alike. 
Each outlet is different, with some papers going into great detail on what the couple wore and the ceremony itself. Dodie points to her own mother's announcement that chronicled every element of the classic Southern wedding. My mother's wedding announcement was huge. It listed what was in her bouquet and what her dress was made out of. And so it quickly evolved from like just rich people being having their announcements in the paper to everybody having their announcements in the paper. And they became more democratic, I guess. With more people submitting bios, Dodie says that she's met a lot of remarkable people throughout the years. However, not all of these whirlwind stories turned out to be true. Like any other traditional media outlet, the New York Times would interview couples under consideration and then dig deeper to make sure all of the information they provided checked out. You get on the phone with the HR departments of their companies and make sure they are professionally who they say they are. And you'd call the priest or the rabbi in the church or the, the temple or the synagogue to make sure that the pieces of information these people had submitted were actually true. And often you would catch them out in a lie, and that would prompt another conversation, a more challenging one this time. Dodie says more people than you'd think would lie or exaggerate the truth when it came to these submissions. We would catch people out on some fairly significant falsehoods. Not just like, oh, I'm, just really, I'm not actually descended from Edward Dodie, you know, not, not anything like that, but they would lie about their positions. They would lie about their titles. They would lie about whether they'd been married before or not, because as, if you've read the announcements, you'll know that they do note whether the bride's first marriage ended in divorce or the, the groom was a widow, that sort of thing. People would lie about it because they didn't want to be embarrassed by being divorced. So the rules feel a bit antiquated, and I think to a certain extent are, but the whole point of it was to create a complete portrait of that couple and a previous marriage the wedding editor believed was part of that portrait. So if you're hoping to get your engagement or wedding into your local newspaper or a larger national outlet like the New York Times, Dodie has some straightforward advice. Tell the truth, number one. Be as truthful as you can be and lay out your story as best you can for the editors that are about to read your announcement. You're far more likely to catch the eye of an editor when you really talk about why you're marrying this person and what it is that makes your relationship and what will make your marriage tick. Those are both really important things. But the most important thing is just to tell the truth. If you're looking for some inspiration, read some previously published announcements. Some can be more traditional and will touch on the background of the couple and the families on either side. But some can dig deeper into the duo's path to love, barriers they faced, or why they chose to ultimately commit. I hope that we always have wedding announcements, and this is why. Um, number one, it's part of a person's story, you know, and I think that it's important to have those markers in a person's life. I think that as marriage evolves, the very nature of marriage evolves, which I think we've seen that do, and, and what we consider a family what American society is willing to accept as a family evolves. I hope that we see a more democratized wedding section. And I think we're already doing that, for sure. You know, it's not just like white, straight, cis-het couples anymore. You know, I think it, the pages are reflecting for more and more Americans as they are and as they live and as they choose to live. And I think that's an absolutely wonderful thing. And so I hope that we have many years to come of wedding announcements that reflect these people, that reflect the people that have been for so long excluded from the pages or didn't feel like they belonged. So I think I get to read my kids' wedding announcement in whatever form that takes.
maybe it's not a marriage announcement. Maybe it's a partnership announcement. Maybe it's, um, you know, I don't know. But I hope that we continue to recognize people in print or digitally as they make these giant decisions in their lives. I think that's really important. To find out more about engagement and wedding announcements and the history of this tradition, as well as our guest, Kate Doty, visit viewpointsradio.org. Also, check out her book, Mergers and Acquisitions, available online and in bookstores now. To get more behind the scenes, search Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri, studio production by Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Viewpoints returns in just a moment. COVID-19 vaccines are rolling out and many Americans are looking forward to getting back to normal. However, chronic stress of the past year can impact memory, mood, and anxiety. So during June, Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month, the Alzheimer's Association reminds you to make brain health a priority. Beth Kallmeyer, Vice President of Care and Support for the Alzheimer's Association, has tips to restore mental well-being. First, think about recommitting to brain-healthy basics like regular exercise, a heart-healthy diet, and getting plenty of sleep. Try to unplug from technology every night. Do what you can to manage your own stress, especially if you're a caregiver for a person living with Alzheimer's or dementia. And return to normal at your own pace by taking small steps and setting boundaries. Kallmeyer says it also helps the brain to help others by volunteering in your community. For example, by supporting the Alzheimer's Association's The Longest Day event, June 20th, Find out more about Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month at ALZ.org. Welcome to Culture Crash, where we examine what's new and old in entertainment. Author John Green is world famous for his young adult novels, such as The Fault in Our Stars and Looking for Alaska. But his latest book is a change of pace. It's called The Anthropocene Reviewed, and it's actually an adaptation of his podcast of the same name. The Anthropocene is the current geological age, and it refers to the human period of Earth. The book consists of essays on given topics that each culminate in a rating of those topics on a five-star scale. For example, he reviews the internet and sunsets, as well as Diet Dr. Pepper, Teddy Bears, CNN, and so much more. But the trick of it all, of course, is that these essays are incredibly personal. Green tells readers about his specific memories of a given topic, what it means to him and his family, his struggle with mental illness, and his emotions. It's an incredibly vulnerable memoir hiding behind the premise of reviewing various aspects of the human experience. And the conceit completely works. Much more interesting than a traditional memoir where an author may recap a part of their life in chronological order. Green's The Anthropocene Reviewed weaves those details in with fact-filled history lessons that will, at a minimum, help make readers into more complete trivia players and at best, help fill in gaps in readers' knowledge base and expand their capacity for empathy and curiosity. If you're not sure whether this book is for you, there's a simple way to get a free sample. Just fire up a podcast app and listen to a few episodes of The Anthropocene Reviewed. If you're anything like me, you'll be hooked instantly. 
the Anthropocene Reviewed book and podcast, are both available now. I'm Evan Rook. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late. And that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. And our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com slash KeepStock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, we get it. You don't want to be hearing a progressive commercial right now. So let us tell you something you do want to hear. You are powerful. You're a warrior who bathes in your enemy's tears. Then you step out of that refreshing tear bath and into a bathrobe that somehow looks good on you. Yeah, you can pull off a robe. There. Don't you feel better? You'll also feel better when you save money for driving safely with Snapshot from Progressive. Mmm, savings you can use to buy more robes. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California, North Carolina, or from all agents. And that's Viewpoints for this week. Viewpoints is a production of MediaTracks Communications. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows. And find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com, code SUPER24.